What would you do if you won a million dollars? It's a question. Shout it out. What would you do? Come on, I want to hear from you guys. Retire. Retire. There you go. Freedom what? 70, no, uh, 34. Freedom 34. What do you guys do with a million bucks? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> It's on my to-do list too. That's that's good. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Feel similar. I'd also be looking for that. Yep. Retirement. There you go. <laughs> Travel. Ooh. There we go. There we go. Who needs to buy a new one when you can rebuild your own, right? Oh, bless. No, yeah, we, uh, I, uh, I find myself, um, uh, I'm a little embarrassed by how often I, I think about it. Sometimes I'll catch myself already in kind of a, a fantasy of being like, oh, if I had a million bucks, all my student loans would just disappear. <laughs> I could take Hannah out to a nice dinner and say, buy whatever you want. <laughs> Um, uh, take her back to, I went to Italy in my university years uh, with some family members. I take Hannah back there. Um, think about some of the, yeah, some of the different organizations I want to gift to. Um, it, it's hard not to think about it sometimes, you know, with where we're at, um, uh, whatever stage in life. If we just had a bit more money, we could do a little bit more. Or if we just were at a different stage than we are now, like maybe maybe we could accomplish a bit more than we expect. I, uh, I think our whole culture, certainly um, a big question in our culture is like, hit the grind, hit the next level, go. The more money you have, um, the more things you can get, the more happiness you can enjoy. And I, I, I love that message. And I want to pursue it, but I think that it falls short. And as we look at Ecclesiastes 5, I think that will prove true. Um, John Mark Homer has this great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that Hannah's read and that I've started reading. And just to kind of try to put in perspective, um, especially here in uh, the North Americas, oftentimes I feel like I hear a lot of people wishing they had, you know, just a bit more. Things were just a little, little different. Um, that maybe they'd be a little more satisfied, or once we reached this goal, then then we'd be set. Uh, those who make between 10k and 100k in a year, these are numbers from 2019, so they're they're a little old, but I think they still give us the idea. Um, about 20% of adults fall in that bracket, and that tends to be um, a lot of those in the Americas here. While those who make less than 10k are 70% of the world's adults. But uh, he, in the book, he goes on, they did surveys, surveying people who made from very, very little to none all the way up to hundreds of thousands, even millions um, within a year. And they were surveying to see, does wealth really bring happiness? And as they went along, there was, there was different levels of satisfaction, um, but there was none that the, the peak level of happiness stopped at 75K a year. And no matter how many hundreds of thousands or how many millions someone was making, none of them were reported having higher levels of satisfaction, of well-being, um, than those at that ranger bracket. 
Again, nothing wrong. This isn't a sermon about, uh, if you're new here, this isn't a sermon about being, uh, uh, you know, we need to be poor, we need to be rich, or where we need to be on the spectrum. Um, but it is a sermon about, I feel like sometimes when it comes to our wealth and our possessions and our resources, we're maybe looking for some of the wrong things, trying to answer the wrong questions, and they might not bring the satisfaction that um, a life following Christ can bring. Please join me in a word of prayer as I keep going. Christ, we thank you that you are the Lord over this world. Would you be the Lord over our hearts? I pray that as we talk, as we continue through this series, I pray that as we talk about riches this morning, um, how they are meaningless and how they're meaningful with you, that uh, you would encourage, you would challenge, and that everyone here would leave, um, yeah, listening to your spirit, your, your spirit and having grown in the relationship with you and the relationship with their own of possessions. I pray that just truth and grace would come from these lips, that uh, you would just, uh, yeah, guide, let the, let the words from you hit home and everything else fall away. We thank you for this time in your name. Amen. So we've been working through Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, uh, the Solomon-like character comes out, um, it, almost in the sense of like a play, kind of a somber, darker atmosphere, and he walks out, and he's been going from item to item, as Gordon's been preaching, um, talking about how each one is, is meaningless, meaningless, the theme of the book. Things, things are like a vapor, they're temporal, they don't last, uh, they'll soon fade away. And this week he walks up to a giant pile of gold coins, of gems, treasures, anything that you can design of. Um, iPhone 11s, you know, MacBook Pro 54s, whatever they're at now. Like, wh whatever you think wealth, you know, big fancy cars, Lamborghinis, this, this giant pile of wealth, riches, and amazing possessions. And the scriptures work to produce, as we look with them, a sombering reflection that some of us might be a little humbled or uncomfortable as we see our own reflections in some of these things. See, Solomon, he started off well when he prayed to God. As the story goes, he prayed to God for wisdom. He didn't pray um, for possessions. He didn't pray for uh, how he'd rule. He prayed, God, please give me wisdom so that I could lead your nation well. And God blesses him, and he says he blessed him with all these other things. So as much as this today's sermon is about how riches are meaningful when they're riches for God's sake, um, and as much as I'm going to be talking about money and wealth, if you're new here today or you really start coming, please come back another week. We don't talk about money every week. <laughs> it's just me. I'm the young guy, pastor's away, so you just, just blame it on the trainee, okay? <laughs> but it's about fearing God and obeying his commands. This is the conclusion. Solomon's gone through his whole life, the richest, probably one of the richest men to walk the earth. For comparison, he, uh, so Jeffrey Bezos, Mr. Amazon himself, he's got a net worth of over 150 billion USD um, as of this year. Uh, from a couple of the sources I looked at, Solomon's wealth would have been roughly equal to Two, like over two trillion when it comes to dollars. So like 
Jeffrey and Bill Gates, they're like pawns in the bucket for him, okay? But like initially his, his kingdom was blessed. He has all the riches and wisdom over all the earth. He's called to live wisely. His people are living in safety. They're, um, they're, they're having lots of kids. Everyone's safe. They're eating, they're drinking, they're happy. Um, but to the original audience, those who would have been reading his story and who knew the laws that Moses had laid out in Deuteronomy, who knew some of those first laws, they immediately see the cracks in this beautiful picture. If we look at Deuteronomy 17, um, immediately after, it's, I think it's in 1 Kings 5, immediately after Solomon is, is talking with God and receives God's blessing, immediately goes in describing all the different things he pursues. And there were laws for kings... In, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, that specifically like spoke against saying the king isn't to multiply horses for himself. Now, this, this would be an expression, multiplying horses, building a huge military. Okay, He's not to multiply wives. He's not to accumulate large amounts of silver or gold. Um, but immediately, Solomon, he's, he's importing... Uh, if you look at his story, he imports uh, military. He's, he's literally set aside entire villages for his horses, for his men who are working in his army. Uh, he's got 700 wives and 300 concubines. And like I said, trillions of dollars worth in silver or gold. Started off so good, but immediately he starts pursuing these riches for riches' sake. He stops fearing God, and he doesn't respect and lean into the commandments that he's laid out for him. So moving into Ecclesiastes 5, I, um, I got Deborah to read, starting at verse 8, because next week I'll be preaching on justice. And I did want to briefly note that there is an intrinsic link between, those, between wealth that is gained on the backs of others at the expense of others, at the oppression of others. There's a deep interwovenness there uh, between justice and wealth pursued for the wrong reasons. Here we see these, these words haunt me. They, they're those who love money. Again, it's not have money, right? It's not those who have money. It's those who love money never have enough, right? Those who love possessions, not those who have possessions, but those who love possessions are never satisfied. This sermon, Ecclesiastes, works like a mirror, really, just like the Word of God does, as it says in James. It causes us to reflect, do we have enough? Am I content with what God has given me right now? Am I generous with the gifts that he has blessed me with? My one of my favorite bands is King's Kaleidoscope, and there's a song um, by them called Down. Uh, he's a bit of an artsy fellow, uh, but I do encourage a listen. They're a pop, like Christian pop symphony orchestra type. I love the percussion. That's what really gets me um, into, the, into their music. But just this, this he has this line of, if I've got you, then why don't I still have enough? Maybe that's the question. When we're in moments when we're saying, oh, like if our family could just reach 
this bracket, then I'd be content. Or if we could just have this thing, or if I could just have that for Christmas, like um, so many years, so many things I wanted for Christmas. Some years I got them, some years I didn't. And it very much affected my mood growing up. But we ask ourselves the question, why don't I feel like I have enough? And maybe sometimes, yeah, due to different situations, things need to change. And we, we actually do need to um, receive the gift of God, you know, the, the resources we need and through hard work. But are we, are we letting God say to us when we need more? Verses 12 to 14 in the passage, I really resonate with um, the, the phrase, just this, this lack of sleep, the, the abundance permits them no sleep, both hoarded to the harms of its owners. I, I resonate with, sadly to confess, of the nights that I've laid awake thinking about uh, my finances, thinking about you know, the, the bills to be paid, thinking about um, things that I wish I could have now, thinking about, as Dick joked, you know, the, the house that Hen and I are getting uh, ready to buy, but don't have just yet. And we see our friends, you know, with their homes and things. It's, oh, it's hard, especially with social media, comparing and seeing what everyone else has and forgetting that our own journey is that, you know, d- different things happen in a different order, right? But I, I think it's a helpful warning, this wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. That when we pursue riches for riches' sake, for our own sake and for ourselves, it can be really damaging. Not only as we get in, you know, justice next, next week, um, not only to those around us, but just to ourselves. Jesus in Luke 12, there's a parable of the rich fool, a man who, um, he had a, a surplus of uh, crops and harvest, um, and he said to himself, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna t- tear down my old barns, Build bigger ones, fill them up so that I can eat, drink, and be merry. So I can relax and not worry about a thing. But uh, then God speaks out to him and says, you fool, your life is going to be demanded of you this very night. This night you're going to pass away. And you're going to be judged on the good and bad things you've done. Who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And he finishes the parable saying, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Again, it's not whoever stores up things, right? right? This isn't an anti-wealth. There's, there's God gives gifts. He gives, he gives what we need very purposefully and intentionally to us. But it's those who store up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. At this moment, I want to invite up uh, Dick Young to join me here for a moment, kind of thinking about some of Jesus' word. He's got a couple biblical financial principles for us. Um, Dick, he retired in 2019 after about 33 years in personal financial planning with the Investors Group, and he worked primarily with families in the areas of taxation and retirement planning. And he loves he loves helping people. He loves giving advice, too. So I hope maybe even after today, after hearing a bit of what Esther says, maybe you'll feel welcome to give him a tap on the shoulder. I'm sure he'd love to chat with you. But yeah, come on up here, Dick. He's going to correct everything I've said that's wrong and, you know, get us on the right track. I don't think they're giving me that much time. <laughs> and for your information, I think Pastor Gordon looked ahead 
saw where the sermon on money was going to be and said, I'm going on vacation. We'll let the new boy do it. Ecclesiastic, it's a very interesting book. Um, King Solomon, obviously the wisest, smartest, richest man that ever lived, but he had an interesting perspective on the world. He suggests that our stuff is meaningless, worthless. The world disagrees. We rush to accumulate. Greed and hoarding are everywhere. The rush to immediate gratification is at a level never seen before. We need stuff. We're not, as John mentioned, it's not that we can't get by without stuff. We need clothing. We need shelter. We need heat. We need food. We need transportation. We do need stuff. So it's all not, it's maybe meaningless in some ways, but not to us that live here. But the more I thought about this, the more I thought, you know, I think there might be a different theme in there, that the theme of riches might not just pertain to money. It may, be, may pertain to our talents and our gifts. Um, Christians, we have to manage our gifts and talents well. And they're not given equally. As I said in the earlier service, the praise team, now, if I could trade any gift or talent I have, I want to be the bass singer in a praise team. <laughs> it's not going to work. Ruth might enjoy it, and that'd be the only one. <laughs> but, but there are so many gifts within the body here. There's gifts. People here preach. They teach. The praise team, the sound system, maintenance, hospitality. People are prayer warriors. People are encouragers. And, you know, they're all important. But we all know what the number one gift to a church congregation is. And that's the gift to greet and usher properly. Right, Lloyd? <laughs> there we go. So this church family has stepped up big time. I think the Lord is pleased with what they're seeing here because people have stepped up. They, they volunteer to get involved with Sunday school and hospitality and special events. And whenever they put the call out, People take whatever gifts they have and they step up and they get the job done. So we're so rich in special gifts. But, you know, I'm not going to talk about money right now. Uh, I'm going to come back later. Sorry about that. But John's going to invite me back later and we're going to talk about money. <laughs> I love talking about money. Don't squirm. Okay, no need to squirm. Just another one of our gifts, all right? Just relax. We want to educate a little bit. I hope it's helpful, and uh, and I'll turn the mic back to John. Thanks, Dick. We turn to verses 15 to 17 in chapter 5, and uh, the language, these words here especially, I think, remind us of the theme of the whole book, meaningless, meaningless how vaporless it is for the things that we can work and build up, you know, through misfortune, through other things can be taken away. And I think it's a reminder when we think about uh, how, you know, how these gifts, how they're on loan from God, you know, that how we've been given the opportunity to manage and look after them well, that, I mean, ultimately, if COVID has taught us anything, that we're not in control, but he most certainly is. 
I, I, I resonate with the, the bottom of verse 17 uh, at, the, at the part, this, this, these days eating in darkness after working so hard. Um, there were days kind of like uh, at, through a relationship. Um, I'm so thankful for Hannah, but there were days because of my own concerns with finances, worries about bills to pay, or just the desire to make a bit more um, that I'd work late into the evening, messing the meal with her and be eating in the dark, right? And Hannah's amazing, always supportive, always encouraging me. But it's, there were sometimes, some days it was wise and a good thing for me to work extra, work hard at some of the jobs I had opportunities at, um, and it was God's way of providing. But then there were other days where I chose to work instead of rest and trust in God's provision. Um, that, you know, that that became um, an unhealthy thing, um, rich for riches sake, instead of, instead of for trusting God to give us the resources and things we needed. Gordon's been sharing some philosophers with us through the series. So I, I wanted to share a, a quote kind of that I think mirrors this passage from a philosopher, Mr. Beast. Uh, as of this year, he is the highest paid U- YouTuber. Uh, my guilty pleasure is watching Mr. Beast videos. I like, I hate to admit it, but uh, you know, school buses getting dropped and people winning $10,000 for, I don't know, doing crazy stuff. Um, it's a lot of fun. He's got an estimated net worth of 500 million. So as I was preparing my sermon, um, this is actually where I stopped and I started making YouTube videos. So that's all for today. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> um, it's, but here he describes part of his journey, like as he was reaching his goals, trying to reach his goals, and knowing, like he described some of the, the difficulties having in, in relationships and how hard it was and the, the short nights with very little sleep and knowing that he needed to quit, but he just wanted it so bad he had to keep going. And I think it's a good reminder that sometimes an abundance or an over-focus on our possessions and things can make us forget about the good things that God has for us right now in this present moment. Makes me think of Psalm 50, how the cattle on a thousand hills belong to God. He does not need any of our possessions. Right when we talk about when we talk about uh, um, giving to the church, when we talk about the capital campaign right now happening across the three sites, when we talk about our, our amazing mission partners and the good work they're doing, it's not that God needs our money. It's not that He's going to stop working or building His kingdom without that. But He invites us to be partners with Him. In fact, He's made it so that we have the practice of both receiving from Him and giving away. To, to others, to our community, uh, to his work, to practice this, this practice of relinquishment, surrender, and simplicity, because there will be one day where every gift that we, we've been given as, you know, and again, this is, you know, Ecclesiastes morbid take, but when, when the, a day comes for us to pass away, everything will be given back to him. And it's a little moment of this death to self and trust in him for what's to come. He gives us these things for provision for ourselves and our families and for partnering with him. In Romans 8, it says we are, we are co-laborers with him. And if we are co-laborers, then we are co-heirs. And if we suffer in it's the same suffering of Christ, then we'll partake in his glory. In the same way that he made this whole world, he didn't need our love. He, didn't, he doesn't need our worship. Um, but he has, for our 
own benefit created so that we can share our love back to him, that we can express joy through worship and song through him. Now, verses 18 to 20 have a slightly, uh, have a, a lighter take, a hopeful take on another very realist and heavy a word from Ecclesiastes 5. That it's good for us to find satisfaction in the hard work we've done. That it's good for someone like Dick to rejoice and have a glad heart at the 33 years of good work, blessing, and helping uh, um, families and clients with their financial situations. That it's good to receive. It's good to receive wealth. It's good to receive these things from God. As long as the riches are pursued for God's sake rather than for riches' sake. As long as we're willing to let them go when the time comes when the Lord asks us to. So I was thinking about some different ways we can kind of respond, maybe, or how we might respond to this word uh, the, from Ecclesiastes 5, or from uh, about finances. And I thought about some of the ways that I've responded in the past. There's been times where I've responded with fear, um, again, sleepless nights, um, you know, thinking about how things are going to work out, uh, trying to control, you know, figure out how to, how to stretch the budget even further to get the goals that I wanted right now. Um, I think about fear. Uh, King Solomon, he's nervous about his son taking over, Rehoboam. And spoiler alert, in the story, it was with good reason. Uh, the following kings did not do well with what he built or what he amassed. But that's just it. All that we build, um, and you know, it comes to a place of trust. What we build and we try to pass on, we have to trust that God is in control even when some of what we've prepared, some of our goals don't go according to what we had hoped. And there's a grief in that. And it's okay to be grieved in that. We could respond with work in, uh, you know, not so good ways and in great ways, you know. And I, I've responded at times in overworking and kind of burning myself to exhaustion, trying to make things happen, trying to get a little bit more. And there's been other times where um, I've leaned into my work and what God was doing, trusting that, hey, like, this is what you have me right now. This is you providing. And then he's come through in ways for Hannah and I that we never saw coming and that were so gracious. And I know that my testimony of that is one of so many in this room. There's been times where I've responded thinking about, you know, uh, finances and the resources of my life with apathy and just being like, oh, like, I'll never, I'm never going to understand uh, investments. I'm never going to understand um, buying a house. Like, that's, I'm, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to deal with that right now. But even through Ecclesiastes, Solomon himself in Ecclesiastes 11, he encourages invest in seven or eight ventures. You know, consider, be wise in, you know, what, what you're building. If we lean in, so God has gifted many of us with wisdom for great entrepreneurial endeavors of, of great, um, great sense in our workplace. And there's been times, by the grace of God, I've looked at this and responded with, you know what, these are gifts from God, and I'm going to do my best to use them. I'm going to trust that he's a good father who loves to give good gifts to his wonderful, beautiful children. 
So I'd love to invite, I'd love to invite Dick up again here uh, just to talk a bit more about some of the nitty-gritty um, of how, you know, continuing on about we live in this world that requires the use of money, requires some financial know-how, um, and what are some ways that we can kind of walk with Christ and find meaning in that way. So, uh, yeah, uh, on the financial part of it, so just like our gifts and talents, finances are not distributed equally throughout the church. As the slide earlier from John showed, like I'm sure there's people in this congregation live on an income of 20,000 a year, there's people maybe at 50, there's people at 100,000. Everybody is gifted differently with their financial aspects. Uh, guys like... He, he mentioned uh, Bezos, but Bill Gates, uh, Elon Musk, I mean, billionaires, so much money. It just seems insurmountable to us, but in the scope of things and as God looks at it, it doesn't matter. It's his stuff anyway. It's like whatever they have. They're, they're not taking it with them, as, as the old story always says. So what we are trusted with, we're supposed to manage well. And I don't think there's a better example of that in Scripture than the parable of the talents. So the master called three of his slaves, let's call them servants, together. And he wanted to give each of them some money. Well, it's called talents then, but he gave one five, and he gave one two, and he gave another one one. And he really just wanted to see how well they would do with this. So... The people, the, the servants that got the five and the two went out, and I don't know what they did, whether they invested it or traded land or what they did, but they come back to the master with double. The guy that got five come back with ten. And the guy that got two come back with two. But the guy that got one, he was scared of the master, and he didn't want to disappoint. So he buried the one, and he come back to the master with the one. So what was the master's reaction to this? He took the two of them that had doubled it, and they weren't equal. Remember, one got five, went to ten. One went two, went to four. But he said to both of them, well done, good and trustworthy servant. It didn't matter how much they returned. They managed it well. He punished the servant that buried the talent in the ground and did nothing with it. So when whatever financial blessings we have, we are supposed to use it for the good. Now we're church people. So a big portion of our giving goes back to the Lord, right? Whether it's through regular giving or missions or thanksgiving or capital campaign as John suggested. But there's also other worthy charities, even the QEH or the Cancer Society or the Food Bank, they're all special in their own ways and they all need our help because the government refuses to fund them 100%. They need contributions from the citizens. Mm. So they offer us incentives. Now before I do that, a key phrase I've always used is that we here in the church 
should never be worried about equal gifts. We should be worried about equal sacrifice. So if Sherry earns $100,000 this year and she gives 1000 to the church and Hannah is hoarding her money for her house <laughs> and makes 20000 and gives 1000 to the church. Now that's an equal gift. Each family has given 1000 but it sure isn't an equal sacrifice. There'd be no sacrifice if you earn 100000 and you give back 1000 the person living on lower income, and that might be a, a widow on one income. It could be somebody, a family with three kids, just father got laid off, mother got laid off, uh, mother's on maternity, who knows? There's lots of reasons why sometimes temporarily you don't have much income. So it is tough. So we're, if you're in that situation, don't feel the onus that you have to personally fund a capital campaign or the church. Give what you can, okay? But if you are blessed financially, if you have extra, then I think, to manage a will, you should be given back to both the church and even community charities. So let me just finish off by telling you about, and this is just more the education part of it, that that's incentive the government gives you is called a non-refundable tax credit. And so what it does, it's either going to reduce the tax you owe the government or it's going to increase your refund. And, and, and it's done only in two stages. And I'm going to assume because there's families here, Every family has given over the course here, hopefully, at least 200 bucks. And that's the low threshold. That means there's a 25% tax savings here. That saved you 50 bucks on your tax return. But for every dollar you increase over 2,000, I use the example 1,200, because now I got $1,000 in the next bracket. That 1,000 saves 46%, almost half. Sometimes I just say it saves half, just for simplicity. So. If, you're, if you look at your budget and you say, I can get $1,200 for the church, and it can be any money, this is just my easy math. With the tax savings that $1,200 is going to give you, it amounts to $510. Really, only $690 is kind of out of pocket. Because now you've got a refund that's $510 bigger. So that, I think, is hopefully the good servants manage whatever laws were in their country at the time. That's something we should know as citizens. We never give money to the Lord because of the tax break. We give it because we love him. He gave us all for us, and we're going to give back a portion. We don't want to hold on to 100%. we got to hold on to some. we got to live. But the portion we give back, we should give back out of love. But if we're aware of the tax breaks, then maybe we can squeeze it a bit more and give a little more extra because now you're not out. If you wanted to give $2,000, you might only be out, don't call me 1200 or something like that, okay? Because of the tax break. So understand that uh, and, and use that as part of your wise management. And so we ask, need to ask ourselves, are we managing our financial resources in a way that would please God? Or are we simply using them to accumulate stuff that Solomon tells us is meaningless? So, thank you. Thank you. Just to conclude, I take us to Matthew 6, 24. That you cannot serve both God and money. And I mean, you know, fill in the blank. You cannot serve both God and anything else. 
But I pray that today you are encouraged to, you know, that, that every area of your life is um, part of your relationship with Christ, that you've been encouraged um, in handling your money in the day-to-day and in, when in, as you're investing and things that matter, um, and that you've been encouraged to guard your hearts from the pull and power that it can have on you, but instead that it would be a gift that you can use um, for blessing others, for taking care of your loved ones, and for his kingdom. Yeah, please join me in a closing word of prayer. Lord, help us to fear you and obey your commandments. Help us in, in our everyday dealings and everything in, in this world, uh, in a world that is run on uh, money and currency and possessions, that you'd help us to be in it, but not of it. That you'd help us to hold loosely the gifts that you've provided with deep thankfulness and gratitude. Um, but that we, like Solomon, would ask for wisdom on how to find meaning in the riches you've given us. Um, but unlike him, that we would not pursue them for their own sake. We thank you, Lord, for all the ways you provide for us, all the gifts you've given to us. And we give all glory to you because all we have, every relationship, every gift, every talent, it all comes from you and returns to you. In your name, amen.